See, I was waiting for you to hit the button, but you were waiting for me to hit the button. But I feel like the last times I've hit the button, you wanted to hit the button because I made the button hitting thing your thing. But obviously you're literally three feet away and it's right in front of me. So I should have done it. <laughs> and then your Ariesness was like, yeah. And you just like inserted yourself into the space that was way farther away than it needed to be because you were a tiny human and hit the button anyways. So thank well, you. You weren't going to do it. <laughs> yeah, I was very much waiting. I even turned my screen so that you could see when to do it because you didn't hit it at the five second mark like you usually do. And I was like, what is going on? Also, before we get into this, I just need to do like a surroundings check. Is Okiku in the weird creepy hole next to me yet? Or is she gone today? Oh, she's not there. Oh, that's good. Okay, guys, today we're going to be talking about the Amityville horror. Horror, 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 horror. Or your meta psychics. <laughs> Sorry, I was Lol. trying to find a spooky one, but I still don't know what the buttons are. Blue. God, I hate Blue. the shoebox one. Damn. Okay. If you guys are new to this podcast, I'm Liv. This is M. M. Say hi. No. And uh, we are your sidekicks to everything metaphysical. And you might be like, who in the God's green name gives you the audacity to be to the sidekicks to anything, whether it be metaphysical or not? And we're here to tell you that the reason it's metaphysical and we are your sidekicks is because one, no capes, and two, because we're mediums. Mental mediums, psychic mediums, if you will. And uh, it's this is what we talk about. We talk about spiritual things, paranormal things, metaphysical things. And there are so many cool podcasts out there that talk about the true crime and the paranormal. However, in addition to learning about the stories, we give you even more by actually talking to the freaking things inside of the stories because we're mediums and that's our thing. We talk to dead people. We talk to spiritual beings. It's a thing. So you want something cool and layered like a five-thing bean dip of paranormal true crime epicness, then you should subscribe. You should maybe watch our YouTube videos if you don't know that we have YouTube videos. TikTok's possibly a thing. We got a website and blogs and we do readings. But that's beside the point because today we're talking about the Amityville horror. So Liv did the research <laughs> and she made me talk to the spirits to which she told me yesterday that she wants to split this into two parts, which... The first part is going to be something relating to, like, true crime, and then the second part is paranormal, and I need you guys to understand, before hearing all of this information, I had no idea anything about the Amityville Horror House, and I knew nothing about a crime that was held there. I just know that it's super fucking haunted, because they, like, make movies, I guess, about it, but I also haven't seen the movies either. Also, if you're a kid, I list all of these things as explicit because, uh, and when I say kid, somebody that is under the age of 18, I list all these episodes as explicit because we have potty mouths. My father gets really upset about it. He's like, maybe you shouldn't swear so much in your podcast. And I was like, well, they're called sentence enhancers and my future fiance is French and that is what I am fluent in. So just to preface. So she was telling me in the car yesterday that we are going to split this into two parts and immediately I was like, oh, well, I could talk to weird demon things, but I can't talk to human souls. That's too normal. And when I said that, a man stepped forward and he gives me, like, if you've ever seen those cartoons that have an episode where everything's in black and white <laughs> and they talk really slow, like those detective episodes and series. You'll see here, Sonny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly ah. like that. A detective... Sh 
like showed up, stepped forward for me. He's in a brown suit. He has a brown like fedora looking hat and he has a briefcase. And he was like, you don't have to worry about it. I'm going to tell you what happened during this uh, case. I think it's funny that he gives you 1920s, 1930s vibes, even though this ah, happened in the 1970s. That, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. So usually when we do these things, like like Emma already said, I did the research for this video so that she could talk to the weird things because I usually have to talk to the weird things and I don't want to. And I've only heard of the Amityville house once before in a podcast and that's literally it. Uh, Emma and I are twin flames. She's the dark side of the sun or the moon. I am literally everything that's happy and obnoxious and things that are scary scare me. It is very funny that I'm a medium and I'm scared of the paranormal and or true crime things. So like... I just remember listening to a podcast about the Amityville horror and I was like, I don't want to have to talk to those scary things. Not at all. You're going to do that because I'm really, I'm better as twin flames. We complement each other and mediumship abilities. I'm much better talking to male souls as well as human souls. Whereas M is much better at talking to entities. I know she said like demons and things, but that's just like, the well, that's just what's term. in the house. <laughs> it's like the layman terms. I just don't want people to get like freaked out and be like, mediums are the devil we're not the devil we're just yeah guys we only talk to demons did you hear about that <laughs> stop you're making it worse it's not what we do anyways so i didn't want to have to talk to the scary things in this house because when i listened to the podcast covering this house they covered the paranormal aspect of it i remember there being like a true crime aspect but i did not remember the details of it however i was like there is a lot more to this house than the paranormal things that happened after 1974 so like we should cover what happened for the amityville horror and what made the house actually famous because without all of the events that we're going to talk to you about today and em is going to tell you literally what she already sees without knowing anything and then i'll tell you the history of the true crime aspect of this house nobody knew what it was so i feel like we should do the entire story justice in a two-part episode series yeah also, you guys need to understand, we just filmed the YouTube video, so I now know everything about it, but I'll tell you what I said before, knowing the story, Yeah. to which I'm stalling because I hope I can actually remember it because it wasn't me speaking, it was people telling me what to say. You should have brought your scribbles down here. She did some good doodles. I can if you pause it. Go get Doodle Bob. He'll okay. help you. Elevator music. John Cena! Do, 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 do! Okay. What did you say? I didn't hear it. I said, okay, you ready? Elevator music! <laughs> John Cena! Do, 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 do! I have that saved somewhere, but I really got to get it off my chest. Okay, I got my paper, you guys. <laughs> the spirit of the doodles will speak to her now. The spirit of the doodles, this detective man. Uh, we called him Kelso. No, the detective doesn't look like Kelso. Oh, no, he doesn't. Yeah, but before <laughs> you knew what these people's names were, we called them the detective man and Kelso, of oh. which you've written doodles. No one knows what you're talking about. They look like we Sims. Like the wee, the little It's because I only wees. drew their heads. Yeah, and then you literally gave them stick figure bodies, but their head is in excruciating detail. Because <laughs> that's what, I, that would be what, how do you tell who he is? You're not going to tell by his body. Is Nintendo listening? Do you guys God. need an artist for your me? Do you guys sins? need um someone to sp be sponsored by you? <laughs> if we got sponsored by Nintendo, I'd poop your pants. We'd poop each other's pants. <laughs> Anyways. So the first thing that I got from this detective was gunshots because, again, I had no idea that there was a crime scene. 
So this was telling me it was some sort of gun involved. I see a larger gun to which I have now known that they tried to make it seem like there was a smaller gun involved, but I see this man with a larger gun. And the first thing that I picked up was that there are three girls that died in the house. With that being said, I was talking to the detective. And when I was talking to the the detective, I was like, okay, so now I have to figure out who is the one that had the gun, who was the one that killed all of the, the people. So then I had another man show up. He's like tall, kind of skinnier, and he has dark brown hair. And this is the guy that Liv is, oh yeah, he also has a mustache. I'm sorry, I forgot to say. But this is the guy that Liv told me, or that we are now referring to as Kelso. Because of his hairstyle. That, That's so 70s show. Yeah, because of the hairstyle. Because it kind of looks like him. Because she's like, his hair's like brown, but it's like swooshy. And it's only on like one side of his head that's like parted kind of. And like, isn't like greased down, but it's like slicked back. And I was like, okay, since this happened in 1974, <laughs> which is the only thing you know, which one of the That 70s Show characters would he look like? And she's like, I don't, what's his name? Like the guy that everybody likes. And then she like looks at me without saying anything. And she's like, Kelso. And I was like, you're freaking me out. Well, duh, that's what he looks like. <laughs> Continue of your knowledge pre-understanding of this. Yeah, he shows me himself as, well, okay, when he's telling me this, he shows me himself as 40 because he's more of a, like, calm, more knowledgeable soul. But he did it when he was younger, and that's when his hair was, like, Kelso's when he was younger in his like 20s i told you early 20s yeah well then i asked you and you were like 23 you literally gave me the age i don't remember that i did forget (laughs) continue so this man shows up and i'm like okay i don't see souls this is this is dumb that's not real that's just the detective guy now in a new place and he's like no i'm over here So when I get that, I see this man that is standing next to me and this detective guy thinks it's funny to give me a yes by making me hear the sound that happens when you solve a puzzle in Zelda. Can we Uh, find that really quick? I can. You can pause it. Yeah, you found it. (laughs) That's really funny. God, I really hope that doesn't become my yes and no. Because that is so weird. Because <laughs> I had to look that up and be like, was this actually the like puzzle solve noise from Zelda? And he was like, yes. <laughs> so there is this man here who appears to be the one that did it. And Liv starts asking me questions about him. And I then realize that there is another man with him. And this other man looks a little bit different in the sense of his face is a little bit more round. He has a large round nose and he also has dark brown hair, but his hair is more unruly. It's more wavy and like textured. Whereas this taller Kelso looking man has his hair almost like gelled to one side. And the feeling I get from this taller Kelso man is that he's very analytical about things. He's like 
the one that's planning things, the one that is trying to make sure that everything goes as planned and, like, he's not going to get caught type of deal. However, some um, issues arised during this scheme of his. And for some reason, I thought that the bedroom was important in the staircase because I see the front door and then right at the front door is like the staircase when you go up the staircase it leads out to those bedrooms so the staircase kind of goes up and then curves to one side or like at a right angle goes to one side I think you said it was to the left there was one bedroom in there that is important that I feel as if there are people that died in it and then like at the very end of this hallway looking thing I feel that's where the master bedroom is um I'm not sure if that's actually true but yeah I don't know where the bedrooms are but you did tell me that there are three floors to the house which you did not know yeah because the uh, detective guy when I was looking at this house when they were showing it to me I was like this does not look like a residential place like this is a weird looking house And the reason why I was saying that, I was like, maybe it's like a bed and breakfast or something and like multiple people stayed there. And he was like, no, it's kind of like the Lizzie Borden house where the Lizzie Borden house was made so that someone could live in the bottom floor. And then the person that owned the house could live in the like top two floors. And that's when Liv was like, yeah, it is three stories high. And I was like, yeah, because it's literally just like the Lizzie Borden house. And I feel like the outside of it is kind of like boxy. Yes, it is a rectangle. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's not one of those pretty Victorian mansions that, like, have a point at the top. They're kind of more, like, boxy. Yeah, because it's a Dutch colonial. I don't know what that means, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of shaped like a barn. Got you. Mm -hmm. Roughly. Makes sense. But I feel like this man, this Kelso man, was very skilled with guns which is why he is able to use this larger gun. But I think that there are multiple guns that are involved because there was another man that came into the house with him. I feel as if the people knew who this person was, and that's why they didn't like start fleeing the house when they started hearing gunshots. I wrote down someone that they know on my piece of paper in front of me. But one of the curious things is I feel like there was something that went wrong. And I feel like this uh, man with the unruly hair that was a little bit smaller and rounder, I feel like he screwed something up. But I believe you said that the sister was the one that they believe is the one that screwed stuff up. It's speculated Mm -hmm. that after the final ruling and the conviction of said murderer was set in stone and his sentence was given that this other individual who wrote a book on this topic thinks that the sister is the one that was behind it yes however i feel as if they may have made her feel like she was the mastermind which is why she wasn't expecting it however it was not oh you're you're throwing in a little bit of deception (laughs) (laughs) i just i feel like this kelso man was the one that was in charge. He was the one that had the plan. Sprinkling of deception. (laughs) Guys, this is a metaphysical comedy. Just so you know. (laughs) 
Sorry, when I said at the very beginning of this, I need to get something off my chest, it literally made me think about SpongeBob when he has like that thing on his chest and it's like, and he like takes it off. I, I gotta get saw something it off my chest. Before you said it. <laughs> and that's the only thing I can think about since. <laughs> so Liv starts asking me questions, and that's where this man, this second man, shows up. And I feel like the Kelso man killed the three women, but there are also men in the house that have been killed as well. And I feel like this other man is the one that killed them, but they did it in a more sloppy manner. And one of the people that I believe was killed was the master of the house or, well, okay. They want me to use master in a very like negative connotation because he is like slave master kind of. That's why they want me to use that word. He's not a cool dude in a loose mood. (laughs) Yeah. But I feel like, I don't know. I feel like there was something wrong with the plan when they were doing all of that, those things. Like someone shouldn't have died in the order in which they are supposed to or someone wasn't supposed to die in general, that type of thing. And then there's also with those three women, I see a woman that has like light brownish hair, but uh, I feel like it could be blonde, but most people would perceive it as light brown (laughs) it's the color of your hair and you think your hair is blonde Uh uh-huh uh-huh and uh she has like a poof in the front of her hair i don't know if you would call it her bangs but it's like poofed in the front of her hair and then the bottom of her hair is like curly and she speaks on behalf of the other people in the house or like the younger people in the house and I feel like she is very sad about like a younger child and I feel like the younger child that she is most sad about is a girl Mm. and Liv was asking me what time do you think all of this was happening you'll see in the in the 1920s (laughs) detective fashion and they were showing me where the sun was when it all happened. I feel like people came into the house. I the feel sun like- as in like the thing in the sky that brings light. Yes. She well, literally did like a Boy Scout drawing on I a wrote piece it of down. paper. And was like moving her hands to try yeah. and like see what time it would have been based off of the image that she drew that this spirit that looks like Kelso was showing her of the time the event happened. Well, it yeah. It was really funny. My dad is a like a boat guy. He is a, a fisherman. So when you're out in the middle of the lake and you have no service and you don't know what time it is, you can look at the sun and use your hands to determine how long it will be before the sun goes down. So each time, like each hand represents one hour. You have tiny hands. I don't know what you were saying. <laughs> but what they show me is this Kelso guy and his friend or whoever this man is, they are leaving the house when it's like evening time, like when it is orange outside. And it was like a few hours before the sunset. And I feel like the killing of things happened when it was brighter before it started turning orange outside. And then your um, talk about your description of Kelso's friend, what we named the lackey. Okay, I explained him already. Yeah, but you left out his uh, heritage. Oh, his heritage? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like he was a part of the Italian mafia. I was like, do you see like what he would be like? And she's like, I don't, I don't know. I want to say he's Italian, but I feel like he's telling me French, but 
And I was like, are you thinking he's joking about the French? She's like, I don't know. He's like, <gasps> I feel like it's the Italian mafia. And I was like. Yeah, because they showed me. Um, I don't know if it's from like Drake and Josh or whatever, but there's like these Italian dudes and they're in a gang type thing. And you have like the master guy, like the guy that everybody looks up to. And then you have like his brother that is like so unbelievably incompetent. But the reason why he's a part of the gang is because he is the, like... He's a part of the family. He's a part of the leaders, like, family kind of thing. But he, like, gets basically shit upon all the time because he's so incompetent. That's what this guy is like. You gotta give Jeremy a job because he's in the family. Like, this Kelso guy was like, you have to do it in this very specific manner or we're gonna get fucking caught. And he didn't do it in that specific manner. And this man, this Kelso man is like... Jesus Christ, he was so annoying. I cannot believe the like incompetence-ness of this man. Wow. Now, we also, I asked her about, you touched on that there were other people in the house that died too. Not just the three women and then the, the master. Yeah, I feel like the incompetent man was the one that killed the men. Mm-hmm. And how many men were there total? Well, there was the master, and then I feel like there were one or two other men. Mm-hmm. Does yeah. that sound right? Because yeah. I don't remember what you nope. said. That's what you told me. And I was like, cheese and rice. Cheese and rice. <laughs> and then there's three women. The three women were very important because this head man told me about him. And then we also touched on the land, too. What did you tell me about the land? Because I was like, all right. Take, take a step back from the people and just give me what like, you think about the land that everything sits on. Go. Like and she before was like, the house was there. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that I saw was like the area in which the house was built was very spiritually charged. And they were showing me this man that appears to be in like tribal attire and he has like this headdress symbolizing that he is like in a state or a position of power within a tribe and I also felt like this area they kept showing me the elephant graveyard from the Lion King which to me that is like some place where everything is like very quiet and peaceful however things have come in like the hyenas have come in to make it dark to make it a bad place and then I asked you, I said, so this man is Native American, right? Yeah, something like that. And then I said, okay, well, he's telling you about hyenas in the elephant graveyard. Who are the hyenas or what do the hyenas symbolize that he's showing you? I feel as if it's the white people that came in to basically corrupt the area. So that is everything that M told me before I told her anything that I researched. I also told you that there was a lake in the back of the oh, property. Oh, yeah, God. Because you're like, what's in the back of the property? And I was like, I see water. <laughs> yep. But the water is now disgusting. Yeah. And the the Native American man had something to say about it, which mm-hmm. is fair. Yeah. The Native American man is, he's got the energy of, I need to protect this area in the sense of like the Haybi spirit from the Avatar, the last airbender. So you can remember in that, that episode, the Haybi spirit is very scary when it is trying to protect the area from these people that are corrupting it. And then once Aang is like, no, it's growing back. He 
he then becomes into this like panda bear type of thing but he first protected the area in a very scary and threatening manner Mm -hmm. yeah it was just that people needed to uh understand why he was there and they were like you need to get out of here because you're not welcome you're mean he's like actually no you guys are the problem (laughs) so let me amp it up a little bit because you're obviously not getting the message and then once ang was like you guys need to chill out He's upset because everything was burned to the ground and you guys aren't doing anything about it. And you're also trying to make him leave. And this is not a place for you to make him leave because this is his home that was destroyed and you guys are upset about it. That doesn't make any sense. Chill your freaking cheeks. And then I'm like, well, oh, I'm a panda. He showed him the that there were seeds from the forest fire that burned down the forest mm-hmm. so that the forest was going to grow back. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. adorable. But anyways... Into the history. Literally, when I started researching this, I wrote under notes, well, Jesus, fuck. I thought it was a different haunted house. Not this one. Oh, wait, never mind. It is. Topic. The Amityville Horror is not just an act, but a place. Dun, dun, dun. Literally what I typed. It was a fun time. Just in case you guys wanted to know. While you were researching, did anything weird happen to you? Dude, that for sure. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. That's why I, I told you last night when we were driving home at 1130 at night from yeah. somewhere that's like a bazillion hours away, I was going to research the things and then I got home, ate some Taco Bell, cried a little bit to myself in my car before I walked in the house. And then I was like, well, I can't do this. It's literally two o'clock in the morning and I'm quite sure in an hour from now I'm going to be seeing things. So I'll just wake up at five to start researching and finishing the rest of the research. So that's what I did. I waked up after but did you in the see, morning. Did you perceive any of the spirits? Close. I want to say yes, but as soon as they stepped forward, I was like, nope, nope, nope. Because ah, usually when I do research, I at least have the spirit show up and start telling me things about it oh i very much tried to ignore as much of the (laughs) things that i could when things started talking to me because i was like this is m story i am doing the egotistical rational research of using my human brain not my medium brain save it for her (laughs) yeah and also for the like conjuring house the conjuring demon thing made me experience very scary things Mm -hmm. super fun so have fun with the paranormal part. Yeah, I'm trying to ignore it like I did while I was researching all of these things. Well, I don't think it's at the same caliber as the Conjuring House guy. Mm. Anyways, Anyways, so the first thing that I have is the house specs because some people like to know things about houses. So this house was built in 1927 and purchased by the DeFeo family who bought it in 1965. There was one family, as far as I was able to find, that lived in the house when it was built in 1927. After they moved away, the DeFeo family, like I said, bought it in 1965. So the house itself is expensive, and it is a part of the stately Long Island area, and it's nestled in a vintage home village. Do you guys feel like you're reading like a really bougie real estate thing yet? Because I hope you do. It has white shutters, or it used to have white shutters, and a white sign welcoming people into its drive that read, quote, high hopes. And it was placed there by Ronald DeFeo Sr. himself, the master of the home, if you will. And it was said that it was placed there by him to represent the prosperity that he sought for himself, sought for himself and his he family. Self. Don't make fun of me as I try to make it better so I can edit it out. Nope. <laughs> uh, it's really hard to talk. So the house had five bedrooms total, three and a half baths, and it was a three-story colonial with a basement. So 
The thing with the basement, you just asked me if I got like weird information while I was doing stuff. I remember reading um, the part about the basement because real estate things sometimes interest me, mostly just architectural and like home stuff, not real estate itself. And I was like, what? This house was built obviously before the 70s. This is before I found out that it was built in 1927. And then when I did find out that it was built in 1927, I was like, why would they want to boast a basement? Uh, You need to know, preface, I hate basements. They're freaking creepy. I don't want a house with a basement. I would rather literally live outside, just in inside of a tree. I don't care. Basements freak me out. So I was like, I would not want a basement, especially if a house was built in 1927. Actually, no, I'd only want a basement in a house that was built in 1927 because those are the only basements that don't leak. However, for me personally, I was like, why are you telling me that a basement is important? Because this basement clearly is not going to be finished, even in the 70s, if this house was built in the 20s or early 30s. And I'm just like, basement doesn't sound cool. And literally the spirit stepped forward and was like, it's because it was completely refinished. It was cool. And I was like, what? They did not have refinished basements in the 70s because... I'm probably showing my age for anybody that's older than us that are listening to this. But long story short, I finally looked up pictures of the house and the freaking basement is finished. I thought that it was just my mind. Is it like the uh, That's So 70s Show's basement? No, no, no. It's like literally (laughs) looks like the rest of the house. It has wood paneled walls, carpet. Like that's a finished basement. I needed That's So 70s House basement. (laughs) Okay. It's just like the pad, you know, like man cave. Wow. 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 (laughs) All right. Four different families have lived in the house since the Amityville horror murder event. And since then have requested that its address be changed because its original address is 112 Ocean Avenue, Amityville, Long Island, New York. And, uh, you know, the people after all of the scary things that have happened and different families that have lived there since the scary event are like, we don't want people to find our house because it's weird. So I'm going to tell you that the address has changed, but I'm not going to tell you what the new address is because that literally goes against why they told us that they changed the address. So I'm not going to tell you because that's not cool. I literally put, I know the new address, but be respectful to the new slash future owners and don't say anything. It's in quotes. Let's get to the murder. The murder! Emily's just judging me with her eyes. She's like, why do you have to be so obnoxious? Why can't you just talk normally? People only want facts. Don't don't. It's don't just give funny that you go on tangents without me helping you at all. I literally I just watch you do tangents. have talked to myself in my car about becoming a, a lone podcaster, like where I do my own little podcasting, and I want to call it uh, like talking to myself. <laughs> Are you saying you're trying to leave me? No, I'm just saying that I want to do like bonus podcast content for our patrons and our channel because sometimes we don't always have time to do podcasts all the time. So if I can just sit in a room by myself and ramble to myself about topics, I'm quite sure it would go really well. Jesus. ADHD. Anyways. Become a patron. (laughs) We might make it happen. So, 112 Ocean Avenue, Amity, Long Island, New York, the DeFeo family called the house their home for about nine years. However, on November 13, 1974, Ronald DeFeo Jr. murdered the six members of his family in their own home. He was convicted of second-degree murder in November 1975 and sentenced to six sentences of 25 years to life. 
and he has since recently died while in prison on March 21st at the age of 69. It was told in the murder trial and the conviction that a 35-millimeter Marlin rifle was used by then 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr., a.k.a. Butch, and will be henceforth in this podcast referred to as such, murdered his entire family while they slept. So his family included his parents, which were Ronald DeFeo Jr. Sr. You know I've been up since five and I went to bed at two. (laughs) So his parents were Ronald DeFeo Sr., he was 43 years old, and his mother, uh, Louise, or it's Louise, who was 42 years old, and then his four siblings, Don, who was 18, Allison, who was 13, Mark at age 11, and John at the age of nine. Now, most true crime things I feel are like, we need to know about the backstory of the family. What kind of tumultuous situation was happening? You know, that's what people do, right? It gives you motive. Mm. Is that mm. what the pe- what the actual professionals call it? Yes, motive. Ah. <laughs> so now we move into the family dynamic. According to a neighbor that was quoted in 1974 after the accident, this neighbor said, relating to the parents when they say they, they could not do enough for their children. The whole world was oriented around their children. This was a neighbor in 1974. However... Since then, there is a man by the name of Rick Asuna who has since then created his own book and rendition of the family's dynamic for him with his research on the case, gave a very different portrayal of the family dynamic. And that's kind of the sorts that I'm going to talk about. Also, I need to preface this. Everything we are talking about is not our own information. We did not think of it except for our opinions. And anything that I say as this happened or that happened is either a direct quote when I say it is a direct quote from a source that is not me. And anything that we say, again, is speculation and other people's hypotheses except for opinions of our own. And that this case has been set in stone with its ruling and that the defendant has been sentenced, like I already mentioned, for his time and has since then died. So any type of people or relations that we talk about are of opinions and nothing we say is fact or our own information, except for opinions. Okay, so this guy, Rick Asuna, had a different view of the family that I think the media, they said, portrayed. His thing said that... The tabloids covering the event emphasized on seniors' high hopes sign, the sign that I said that was in the front yard. And this Rick guy says, far from the idyllic portrayal from the press, this was not the case with the family. According to Rick's interviewing of the family's neighbors and acquaintances, the DeFeo family, they described the domestic horrors of the family in a little more detail. It wasn't just high hopes and praise. So according to the family's neighbors and acquaintances that Rick interviewed after the incident, the father, Ronald DeFeo Sr., was domestically abusive to the whole family. It wasn't just one person. Louise's father, who is uh, Ronald's wife, his name is Michael Brigante Sr., and he was an associate of the Gambino crime family boss, Carlo Gambino. And if you don't know who that is, 
that's uh, a portion of the Italian mafia, I guess. According to Butch, who again, like we said, is Ronald DeFeo Jr., he worked alongside his father, Sr., and his grandfather at their grandfather's dealership. They were familiar because of their association with the mafia of disposing of bodies on behalf of them. There was nothing else that I could find that said that they had direct involvement with the mafia, except for the fact that Butch's grandfather was associated with them, and thus he was associated by his mother. So I don't know, and I don't have any evidence that I could find source-wise from the information I gathered that he was directly related and working on behalf of the mafia. It was portrayed, at least to me, that sometimes they'd have to do things to help the mafia out because of their association by relation, and uh, they did it because I'm quite sure if the mafia tells you to do something, you don't not do it. (laughs) However, even with their association to the Gambino Mafia, Rick, the author of this story that I'm finding a different rendition of the events from, or at least hypothesizing, hypothesis theory of the events, does not believe that the Mafia did the killing. Because that's what I thought too. I was like, wait, they're related to the Mafia. It's solved. And this Rick guy's like, no, because killing children is against the code of the Italian Mafia. And I was like, I'm Italian. I would not. I don't I would not kill children either so you know you know they gotta have some side of rules right isn't it like the the pirates code parlay do not know you know you watched pirates of the caribbean no I did not sorry we have to have a talk about this later I watched one movie and it was so boring so I don't even know what happened in the movie interesting 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 so yeah there was weird tentacle man Interesting, 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 interesting. interesting. So give me a second. I'm going to find the actual, I wrote it down, but I wrote it in a different thing. Originally happened or Butch's original story and what people have, I don't know, I guess like said is the reason things happened and what they are like the, what is it? The outcome? Sorry. Words are hard for me today. The outcome of the trial after the murder was that butch was convicted of all six murders and that he was the sole murderer of this event and that he did it unaided by anybody else with a single type of shotgun no other gun was used i feel like that's wrong because every time i say that they're like you're not you didn't read like the actual court proceeding and like when they read out the sentencing so don't say that because that's wrong so i don't know if i'm wrong or right when i say that but they keep telling me they didn't say that there was only one gun they just said that he's the sole person that we can find and there's not enough evidence or anything to think that there is another person or people that aided him in this. So we're just going to convict him. End of story. And when you say they, who's telling you that? I feel like it's the um, the detective guy. Okay. I just want people to realize that when you say they, you don't mean the internet. Oh, yeah. No, not the... <laughs> sorry. I'm talking about the souls. Yeah. So anyways, before I get into the hypothesis of Rico Orsu... What is his last name? Orsano? Sorry. You mean Rick? Rick's <laughs> Asunas. I always think of... Uh, what's the guy from... Jiu-Jitsu Kaisen? Rico Suave. Sorry. I have no idea what you're talking about. Who's the guy from... Um, the guy that's inside of the guy from Jiu-Jitsu Kaisen? Sakuna. 
Oh. I think of Sakuna oh, every Sakuna. time. That was not a good explanation. <laughs> every, he, well, he's inside of the guy from the guy from Jujutsu Kaisen. And I'm saying Osuna and that you should get Sakuna from Asuna. that. That's from Naruto. That's what I think. I don't know Naruto that well. But if you guys hear her say Rico, it is because her computer... <laughs> Auto-corrected um, Rick to Rico because the guy who wrote the book spells his name R-I-C. But she uh, keeps saying Rico, and I'm like, it's not Rico. I also have crime in here as Chrome, so so we're going well today. It's it's a good time. <laughs> so before I go into Rick's hypothesis on how he thinks the murder happened, the court hearing concluded what I just said previously. And according to Butch's original story that he told cops... After the incident, he said that he found his parents' bodies earlier in the evening when he stopped by the house and that he ran in a panic and drove, he ran away in a panic, I should specify, and drove to a local bar for help where he found some friends and reportedly drove back to the house and discovered all of his family being murdered, not just his his family or his parents. And they're also telling me that's not right. He saw everybody murdered and then literally went to go find his friends to be like, is this real? Is this real life? And they're like, yeah, this is real life, dude. We got to call a cop. And he's like, okay, let's call the cops. And then the police came and they were able to say that nine shots were fired from a 35 millimeter Marlin rifle. And then he got sentenced with everything else that happened afterwards. Now let's get into the nitty gritty things of the discrepancies, theories, and what people think happened, even though a sentence and like conviction have already been placed. And happened. All of this is speculation in people's opinions. God, murder is just hard for me. I don't like it. All right. So I told you what just happened and what people say happened and what was the conclusion of the hearing, roughly. But in Rick Osuna's rendering of the November 12th witching hour events, because apparently this happened at night. I saw one source that said it was like 3.15 in the morning, but that could be also very wrong and very romanticized, even though that word maybe doesn't sound great to use to describe things. Anyways, colorful is what I'm trying to say. People like to color this up. Did did you guys know that there's like a whole bunch of horror movies based on this? And they're like, based on true events and uh, lots of other books beside Rick Osuna's that are like, I think this happened. And these are some, some stories yeah okay okay i don't watch horror things so i didn't know that so in rick's rendering of the november 12th events at the amityville house the horrors took place after a violent argument that ronald senior had with his wife and children and i wrote that it was physically harmful apparently since we're on the podcast and i can say this and we're not on youtube anymore the youngest son Um, I think his name is Mark, who was nine, ended up having like a bloodied face because he was hit. Um, The wife was also, um, Louise was being um, abused as well physically. And I guess the eldest daughter, Dawn, tried to defend herself from her father with a knife for fear of her life. And after these events or during these events, I'm not sure. I feel like it might have been after if this is true. She persuaded her older brother, Butch, to kill their father, Senior, during the night while he slept. I guess, according to Rick's hypothesis of the events, based off of his analysis of evidence and things that he was able to find, she encouraged, Dawn did, the same fate for her mother with her brother, Butch. 
countering that even though their mother was a victim of the same domestic abuse as them, that she was, quote, beyond hope. And she was unconditionally by her father's side no matter what. So her mother was never going to be somebody that could help them get out of the situation of the domestic violence and other things that happened in their family. But what they didn't agree on in Rick's rendering of these events is that Dawn wanted their siblings to be killed as well. But Butch instructed Dawn to watch their siblings while he, and according to Rico's rendering of the events, his friend Bobby killed both his father and mother. Upon returning, after instructing Dawn to watch their siblings while the deed was done, he found her. It's not that he found her. It's that after they killed his parents and he told her to watch the siblings and make sure that they were okay and didn't hear anything, she, he came back to find that she had already killed the siblings while he was killing their parents. And he was so enraged and horrified that he ended up killing her too and became the sole surviving member of the DeFeo family. Dun, dun, dun. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. That's what the internet says, according to Rick's book. So who is Rick? Rick Osuna is a dude who wrote a book in 2002 that was titled... But he wasn't there? No, he was not there at all. Then how does he know that? He got all of the evidence from the court proceeding after a final sentencing had happened and was like, all right, I got all of this evidence, plus I'm going to do some research of my own of interviewing families and neighbors of the DeFeo family or family, no, sorry, neighbors. And I don't know why I keep saying family members. I, there was no evidence at all or things. No, it wasn't even family friends. It's just, he didn't interview any, as far as I could find, he did not interview any people that were directly related to the DeFeo family. He only interviewed neighbors and quote unquote, uh, what is it? Acquaintances. So, He got all of the evidence he could find from the court case, as well as trying to compile his own situational, circumstantial, and personal evidence from other people that could be witnesses or testify to certain aspects of the family dynamic, and created his own hypothesis after the fact of Butch being sentenced. Got you. So he didn't actually talk to the people in the house that actually witnessed it. No, there wasn't anyone in the house that could witness it besides the killer's. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just interesting that he made up that story. I guess that's how he says it happened. Based upon neighbors' ideas. So, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, it's not just neighbors' ideas, though. He looked at all of the evidence that was submitted to Mm -hmm. the court case as well. He was like, given all of this, I don't understand how they thought it was this. (laughs) This is what I think it is because they literally, I'm looking at the same information as them. And then I was like, well... I think it's this. So I'm going to find some other sources aside from the evidence submitted to the court case legally and see what I can come up with because I need more backing than besides the court evidence. So that's why he talked to other people too. Got you. So the court evidence 
was just stating that there was one gun and that the, uh, what is it, the eldest brother? Is the sole killer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. His nickname is Butch. Got you. Because he's a junior. (laughs) What's his name? Ronald DeFeo Jr. So it's Ronald. Yeah. Got you. So, but this this is what this guy came up with as a theory after Uh everything had been set in stone legally. Got you. Yes. So (sighs) he is... I don't know what his profession is besides author, um, but he wrote this book in 2002, and I have the uh, title somewhere because it's uh, important. Anyways, now there's crime case discrepancies, and even outside of Rick Osuna's book that I'm telling you, you his theory on, there's these same sort of themes or crime case discrepancies that other people have found too, and they include... The following. There were blood stains in certain crime scene photos, and they are seen in places that do not add up with the story that the family were all killed in their beds. Because upon arriving to the home after the police were called, given Butch's original statement, every single member of the family, except for Butch, were found in their beds in the position of lying face down, and each individual person had a single gunshot wound. He's also telling me not every single person had one single gunshot wound, but I don't know who's telling me that. Well, I know who's telling me that, but it's not something that I read. Please understand that. Yeah. The detective guy is. Because I got multiple shots for people, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Because um, they weren't... There was one that was not as skilled with guns. Mm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Anyways... So they were all found, according to what I read, with a single gunshot wound in their back, all in their beds, lying face down. So the fact that there was blood stains in the photos where they weren't just in their beds was a red flag, I guess, when it comes to evidence. evidence. Do you know where they were, where these blood stains were? I was looking at some photos. However, I don't know because I couldn't find them. And I'm also not a crime investigator. But, like, were they in the bedrooms with them? I think they were in different parts of the room. I saw something about bloody shoes, but I don't know the case or the ideas or information around bloody shoes. However, there was one of the uh, crime scene scene photos that had bloody shoes in them, and they were different types of shoes. One of them looked like they could be a girl's shoes, and the other one looked like they could be boy's shoes. Got you. But, again, I did not research the things around the shoes because I didn't have enough time, and I didn't know it would be that important. But... There was a discovery of a bullet with a different caliber than the 35 millimeter Marlin rifle Butch discarded after the killing happened. And the 35 millimeter Marlin rifle that the court case dictated Butch had used to kill his entire family was discarded in the bedroom. However, like I said, they found a bullet with a different caliber associated with the murders as well. Now, and did the court just ignore that or something? I think so. Because I don't understand because it's very obvious when a bullet doesn't fit the gun. Exactly. That's why this guy was so angry and was like, I'm going to write my own story in 2002 about this because it's not right. I don't agree with it. So here's all yeah. of my stuff. <laughs> exactly. Another thing that was mentioned was police brutality was very high in Amityville during this time and a confession from uh, Butch is thought to have been brought about because of police brutality. And when I say police brutality, I'm not saying like generally the way in which I'm reading this is that they beat him up. They roughed him up a little bit when they were like, did you do this? And he's like, 
I don't know. And then they're like, tell me your name. And then they just like smack him. He's like, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I try to make things comical in my head. Yeah, they beat the uh, confession out of him. Yes. Confession rates under interrogation in this area and during this time, so specific to Amityville or whatever police um, department was handling the case, was 95%. So under interrogation, their confession rates for the police department that handled this case was 95% compared to the rate of 35% at the time in Bronx, New York, and 20% in the Brooklyn area. So they're like, if your confession rate is 95%, we're quite sure that you're beating you're beating the answers out of people. And it's not answers. It's just that they want you to stop hitting them, sir. Um, so <laughs> the last thing that I read, and I know that there's much more probably than this, assumingly, is that the prosecutor and police admitted many times throughout the entire case and the trial that the crime required at least three people to carry out. And another independent investigation by a retired police detective by the name of Herman Race also concurred. And when we say Herman Race, literally Emily was telling me, like she said at the beginning of this, that when we were in the car yesterday, this detective stepped forward and was like, I'm going to help you with this. It's okay. You'll see, you know? Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. She's like, would a detective be able to like help? Because there's a, te- a detective here and I don't know if I'm actually seeing him. And it's really, I don't know. I'm really nervous about this. And I was like, well, it's a, it's a true crime case. So I'm quite sure it's plausible that a detective is talking to you. But I did not think that an actual specific one person detective would probably be talking to her. And when I read this this morning at 630 in the morning, I was like, that's it's almost you. like you were supposed to find it. <laughs> <laughs> It was definitely that Spider-Man meme when they're all pointing at each other. Jesus Christ. This dude popped in and I was like, with the finger guns? It was, anyways. The judge ruled against multiple attempts from Herman race and other parts of the trial attendees, people that have ability to submit evidence and say things in court. The judge ruled against these people multiple times with their attempts to submit further evidence, providing, I don't know, what's a better word for evidence? I need thesaurus.com for my head. They wanted to submit further evidence, providing or backing up their theory or, I don't know, the evidence that they had to try and make a theory to help substantiate other factors of the crime other than the evidential ruling that was... I'm quite sure there's too many souls around me right now trying to get me to shut the fuck up, and that's why I cannot talk. Um, Is it because you're not saying the things they want you to say? Probably. I'm saying the things that I I wrote down, and it's really Mm -hmm. hard for me if you can't tell. I'm really struggling today more than usual. They wanted to help provide evidence to help substantiate other factors of crime other than the evidential, eventual, other than the... Evidential, sorry, they're making your, they're, other than the eventual ruling that Butch was the lone killer. Because they were literally like, yeah, it would definitely take at least three people to do this. But then literally the ruling was that, oh, no, never mind. He's the only one that did it. Have a nice day. And I I even got to read like one of the actual, what is it, um, court transcripts. That's what they're called. I was reading one of the tor- court transcripts where Herman Race actually was trying to talk to the judge so that he could submit further evidence that he found as a 
what is it, like a third-party investigator who was hired because he's like, all right, I got this stuff that I found. And given the stuff that I've been given from your police department that are covering this case, I've looked at it and I've also looked at things that I found that I thought were important looking at the evidence that they gave me. So like things that I saw as red flags and I went to the home and investigated them myself because I saw them in the photos and the evidence that your team gave me. And there is a lot of things that I want to talk to you, Mr. Judge, sir, about that would give you substantial things to submit to the jury that would give, I don't know, give light to the fact that there has to be other people besides Butch involved in this murder. Because I'm not saying, and he said this multiple times, I'm not saying since Butch already gave a confession to this that he is not guilty. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that his guilt is not only something that he confessed to, but also pretty evidentially clear, I would say, Mr. Judge Sure. Again, this is my rendering of a professional transcript in a court of law. And he said, if you could take the time, please, Mr. Judge Sure, to sit with me and the jury somewhere else where I can present this evidence to you supporting my claim of that there are other people involved besides the person that I'm not saying is not guilty because it's clear that in evidence and his confession that he is I'm just saying that we need to take into consideration that there has to be other people that we need to sentence in addition in this court of law. But I don't want to say it publicly because there's members of the family that was massacred behind me and I don't want to hurt their feelings or, you know, just I, they don't need to be a part of it because it's it's information that they might find hard. And there's a lot of people from the tabloids in the press that are talking about this high hope sign. And I'm quite sure that anything that I tell you now publicly in front of these two different types of people besides you and the jury are going to get impressions either made upon them that are not consistent with what I'm telling you and it's going to influence people's ideas of what we're talking about in a light that is not helpful but I think you need to take some time with me sir Mr. Judge please if you will not off the record but at least privately and away from the public and the tabloids so that we can collectively come to an understanding of we need to be looking for other people and this is the clues that I have to try and find them and the judge was like okay, so you're telling me that you think that um, Butch is still guilty, right? And he's like, I'm not saying that he's not guilty, sir, because he's given you a confession and there's evidence, but I do think that we need to look at other people. Do you have time to do that, taking into consideration the family's feelings that are sitting behind me and how they might feel about the things I have to say and keeping it away from the press so that they don't wrangle it into something that could possibly give it into a different light because when we're dealing with the law, we need to not have our feelings involved. And the judge was like, um, I think that that's a waste of time. And if it can't be said in front of me, then that's not cool. And I don't really want to take the time to like say it off record. And he's like, no, 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 it's not off record. I just don't want people's feelings to get hurt. And my information that I'm going to give you twisted into something that isn't, but it's very, very, very imperative to the case. And the judge was like, okay, well, I'm just going to say that I understand and I definitely agree with you that there has to be other people involved in this. However, I'm not going to take the time to sit with you separately because we need to get this case closed faster and me meeting with you is going to add more time to it and that's not conducive 
to like how I feel about it. The, and that's my rendering of the court case trial transcript that I read. The spirit of this detective is telling me because um, this man confessed to be the sole person that has like killed his family Mm -hmm. that because he confessed that is like I don't know like a piece of the information or the evidence that cannot be changed so you're saying it's as fact Mm -hmm. so they're saying he used that as the full piece of the puzzle and he did that because if he's going to take all of that blame it means it's less money for him to like what is the word book him arrest him blame it all on him does that make sense it's less money that butch needs to spend on a lawyer no it's less money and time for the court system to convict him convict this man of the crime like he already has all the evidence he needs based upon this confession that he ha- like he needs to just blame it all on this man. So even though he said in the transcript, I understand and I agree with you that evidentially I think that it would take more than one person and you have things that you want to tell me about it. I just don't care because we already have what we need in a court of law. So I just am not going to take the extra time to try and figure out who else might have done it because as long as I put one person away, that's good enough. Yeah, because a confession, I don't know, in those law TV shows, a confession is taken as, like, a very vital piece of information. Exactly. If you can get a confession from someone, that is, like, end game. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I get it. So, they're like, yeah, there might be other people. Yeah, we might have police force that beat a confession out of him. It doesn't matter. I can still convict this boy fully for the crime and save a buck while I do it. It's so bad. (laughs) It makes me angry. Like I know as a lawyer or not a lawyer, but as like someone of the law, you're not supposed to have your morals or like your feelings associated with it. But I would say outside of feelings, whether or not you have a confession from somebody, if I was a judge, I would be like, okay, I already know what the outcome of this is going to be. But like if there's other people that the law needs to punish, they should be punished for it. Do you think that he took the full blame because he was afraid that people would come after him? I think he took the full blame. I think it's something close to that, yes. That's why I kept asking you when you were talking to him before you knew who he was and anything that was happening, what you thought he felt about the whole situation. Because you said, oh, he's very adamant that he's the one that did it and that he is the killer. But I'm like paranoid. Like something was going to get him. That's why I was upset because this whole time I was trying to find like records of like possible schizophrenia or mental health issues with him because I'm like, all right, well, if something not only like not only domestic abuse that was happening, but if you have a mental illness as well and there's like weird spiritual stuff going on, I'm sure that that could be, you know, and just building blocks of waiting for something to explode. And I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not giving them a, like, it's it's the building blocks of like, of disaster. So when I was doing this thing, the first thing I thought was mental illness. I did not think paranormal at all. 
I was like, if something's happening and he has these voices in his head, because there's a quote of him saying the voices in my head made me do it or the voices in the house made me do it. I was like, well, if there's domestic abuse going on, that can in like make your mind go to different places of why I have to do this. But also it this, the, the, the dynamic is crazy. The dynamic. Literally before I heard anything about paranormal or voices, the first thing I thought about was schizophrenia. And the only thing I can find, I found one other source about a medium that was asked to speak on the topic. However, this medium had never been to the place there. She was like, or they would like, they said, you know, I think that schizophrenia could have been a cofactor with it. But it's not proven. So when you told me that he came through and he's like, I did this and I did that, my first impression of all of this first was, one, there might have been a possible mental illness that helped fuel the thing. Two, that I got the same feeling from him as well, the Kelso man, so Butch, that I did it. I'm the one that did this. However, I feel like after so many years in prison and uh, being convicted so young, whether or not there was other people that did it, he's the one that took the blame for it solely because of like the possible mental instability that was happening at the time. But the reason he presents to you now after the fact with a confidence is that he's had so long to think about it. And if you're in prison, I would say for a really long time, I would assume that at some point you're like, I did it. Everyone told me that I did it. Everybody that was around me told me that I did it. So I'm just going to take credit for it now, no matter what, because it doesn't matter if I was the only one that did it. I'm the one that did it. And I took the fall for it. And if he is somebody that is going to say, I'm the one that did it, cut and dry, nothing else, he would still say the same thing to you after he's passed. Nobody told him that he was schizophrenic. I know that's why I was looking in the court proceedings to see if there was any sort of plea of insanity because they literally said the other thing that makes me so angry is the judge was like, I'm not going to take the time to listen to Mr. Race's evidence towards the possibility of having other people that were um, associated with this murder and were accomplices and help carry it out. But then literally there was a portion of the court case that said the original court ruling made in 1975 did not make explicit mention of malignant spirits, but it did consider the theory as plausible. So because he's the correct age and that's what he's telling me. That he did have schizophrenia? It wasn't just schizophrenia. Yeah. Yes. They're yeah. telling me he is the correct age. You start presenting with schizophrenia in your mid to early 20s. Mm-hmm. And he tried to deal with it with alcohol and drug abuse because he was, Butch had a problem, according to what I've read, with heroin and alcoholism or alcohol abuse. Yeah, they show me like the voices in his head, but they're also supplemented by other things, which is why he was the most affected because the thing that's in the house, the scary thing that's in the house was not at the same caliber that it is now. Yes, but that's why when he comes up to you now, he talks with such confidence about it because the voices have been able to talk to him for so many years uninterrupted and aided by his environment of being in prison to say, I am the one that I did it. That's it. Cut and dry. So it's really hard for you to even get any other type of information because of the soul you're talking to honestly believes wholeheartedly that that's the thing after so many years, no matter what, that's literally, that's the only information we're going to be able to get. So it freaking is 
Yeah, he tells me that he's the correct age for schizophrenia. Mm. However, he's not in a very great area for schizophrenia as his house is haunted. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> that is true. Um, and also not the correct era in a place and time in which someone could help you with that. So, well, yeah, it's really hard. So anyways, that's just my giant dude from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia tangent. So I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Who do you think did it? Well, because <sighs> they've clearly been trying to get you to say something. Yeah, I don't know. See, it's just, there's other things too. So Butch told the cops that he found his parents earlier in the evening and then he went to go find friends. But the other discrepancy is that when, after the fact, they took the nine or the 35 millimeter Marlin rifle and tested it at the residence to see how loud it would be because they're like still on that, this trope of there's, there's no way one person could have done this. There's absolutely no way. I don't understand how it's possible. How do you have this rifle that's so big and everybody is killed in their bed? Nobody woke up from the first <laughs> shot. No one was like, oh my God, there's something wrong. Like, how does this happen? So they went to the place, tested the rifle, and they proved that the shot could be heard from four to five blocks away. And the neighbors testified that only dogs barking could be heard. The night of the murder. That is it. Only a dog's bark. So how is it that if a 35 millimeter Marlin was used, no one else heard it, including every single person in said house that was supposedly murdered in their bed while they were sleeping? Was it because they were at work? I don't know. (laughs) Your attempted comedy was good. (laughs) They weren't there. They weren't there. Well, it's... They were busy. The other thing is that they said that the bodies weren't moved in the original autopsy report. However, there was a secondary report that was done that said, yes, the bodies were moved. However, it was just very, 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 like, close to after they passed. So it's harder to tell. So it's interesting. And now the very last thing is that every single family member was discovered in the same position, lying face down in their bed, and they were all shot in the back. However, Dawn... The oldest daughter differed in her appearance of death. She was the most brutally person there murdered, with her head being almost obliterated by a shotgun, and she had unburnt gunpowder on her nightgown, adding to the theory that I'm going to tell you about that um, Rick Osuna has, that she was involved. But there was no residue of gunpowder on her hands. According to Rick's rendering of the November 12th story, he says that, you know, Dawn did it. I think I already went over this, but like, I just don't know, like in my mind, how I feel about this without putting my medium hat on. But let me just say the very last part that I have written, and then we can maybe do a little bit of medium speculation. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So there's also psychics and Lorraine Warren, and these are their claims. According to the interwebs, several psychics, including the late Lorraine Warren, were invited to the house to conduct an investigation. And they all claimed an Indian chief was buried where the house now stood and that he sought revenge by getting any man living in the home to do terrible things. Butch DeFeo had an interview with somebody or something called Holzer, H-O-L-Z-E-R, and he was quoted saying, 
DeFeo said he heard strange noises and different things at night, starting on his very night, first night in the house. DeFeo said, quote, you felt as though somebody may have been walking around, pipes banging all these strange noises. And he added, in fact, everybody thought that there was something in there a week after we moved in. According to the rest of the interview of Holzer, sometimes the family could hear screaming. DeFeo told the interviewer, even though no rational source of the sound was ever discovered. So there's like there's random people losing their mind, but we don't know where they are because we don't see anything. There was a painting that was moved from one floor to another, but everyone in the family denied they had done it. And he said that, DeFeo said, his parents believed that the devil was in the house and that the reason for the extreme amount of religious idol, 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 idolatry, idol, idol, adultery? Well, it says idol, I-D-O-L, a-T-R-Y, idolry okay. on the grounds. So, like, there was a lot of religious memorabilia or things there to try and keep the devil out. They, like, put crosses and stuff up in, like, a Jesus. They were like, if we got these statues. The parents. Okay. His parents put up a lot of religious things in order to keep the devil out that they thought was in the house. So they thought it was haunted at that point, too? Yes. Interesting. <laughs> oh, <laughs> So DeFeo in particular felt tormented by whatever was happening in the house and ran away several times, warning his father that he feared he would kill everyone in the house if he wasn't allowed to leave. So according to news reports during the trial, DeFeo's attorney argued that Butch killed his family because the voices, quote, in the home, end quote, had convinced him to do it. And my segue into part two is that the original court ruling made in 1975 condemning Butch did not make explicit mention to the other types of people that could have possibly been involved, but did make unexplicit mentions of the possibility or plausibility of malignant spirits coming into play when it came to the murder. Which just makes me angry as a citizen of the United States that spiritual involvement and i think it's even funnier that as a medium i'm getting upset that the plausibility of spiritual involvement in the like spurring of a six family murder spree by Mm. one person is more taken into account than the plausibility of two other people being involved in the murder why (laughs) is it that that is is holds more evidence and like weight when it comes to convicting somebody and not convicting people that possibly could have had a hand in it and then just letting those people continue to exist. It makes me angry. Mm. That's my opinion. (laughs) Makes sense. And in part two of this, we're going to talk about the paranormal things because after this horrible, horrible murder, that was extremely unfortunate. It gave that dark thing what it needs to... uh caused the chaos 13 months after the lutz family moved in and all the paranormal things started happening that's what we'll talk about in part two 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 so what do you think about all of this now that we've talked about you know possible mental health issues and without you know without doing the whole paranormal thing because i'm quite sure that we'll have like a completely different idea of this story after we do the paranormal stuff later but without us both knowing about the paranormal things what do you feel what do I feel about the paranormal stuff? No, about the murder things. About the murder things. Yes. Well, I feel like this man who looks like Kelso, I forget what you told me his name was, Butch. Butch. <laughs> I feel like he did it. He had help 
I don't know if this girl also helped. However, she may or may not have thought that she was in charge, but she very clearly was not since she was also murdered. See, that's the thing. I feel like she was involved in it too. And then you said this other guy was there. And I kept asking you what he looked like because there was, oh, that's the one other thing, the piece of paper. I can't forget to read it because I kept this away from you. I didn't write it in Asana. I wrote it on a piece of paper so you wouldn't look at it in case you decided to read Asana. <laughs> so anyways, all of the information that Rick Asuna guy that I was talking about, this is from his 2002 book titled The Night the DeFeos Died, Reinvestigating the Amityville Murders. And his goal as the author in writing this book was to reveal Butch's true involvement in the killings, not to revoke that he is indeed guilty of the murders, but to establish that he also thinks Dawn was in on it. And he is quoted saying, a girl ready to do anything to get out of the house and escape from her parents. And it's the, his theory in the book that he covers, given all of his, his evidence that he's covered on his own, is... 18-year-old Dawn did it, and after finding her, and when I say finding her, Butch finding her, he shot her and took the blame for the whole family. But it's just like, the, the, the very, very last thing is that there's speculation that one person cannot do it, which is what the court, I guess, thought or didn't want to at least take the initiative to find any other people because Butch had whether it was beaten out of him or not, confessed that he was the sole perpetrator. But there's another speculation that DeFeo and a friend did it. So I thought it was interesting that you're like, there's this man here and he's from the mafia. Or I get the Italian feeling, but he's not very like cool with the mafia. He's like literally the the, the least cool person that they could Clumsy. get from the mafia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's the, the lackey from the mafia that helped do it. So I was like, Jesus. Cheese and rice. You're talking about that there's a friend here. I guess Dawn wanted to move to Florida with her boyfriend at the time, but her parents were like, no. And uh, one of the things that Rick Osuna talks about and is the namesake of his book is that Dawn wrote a comic song in which she fantasized about murdering her family. And she titled this comic song, The Night the DeFeos Died. Hence why he decided to use it for his book title. So now I'm just all messed up on who actually did it, what actually happened. And when I was talking to you during the YouTube video and you talked about this other guy coming in who was like Italian, I was like, well, I don't know what he looks like. But there's like, I don't know, they said something about an affidavit or something that Dawn signed with her boyfriend or whatever. So I was like, is it Dawn's boyfriend that helped? Because you're saying that Butch didn't think highly of this person however i don't know if dawn would have dated somebody in the mafia i don't know what her boyfriend would have looked like and the person that you were talking to that rick asuna hypothesizes was one of the accomplices or butch's friend was named bobby and when i looked up bobby you were like ah yeah that's what he looks like so i was like maybe it's not dawn's boyfriend but anyways i don't think it's dawn's boyfriend yeah interesting why would Don's boyfriend kill her or watch her be killed? That is very true. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how this third person is that you were talking to that might be um, Butch's friend. I just, I don't know where he fits into it because unless he was just that scared that he just like ran away and in whatever rage induced. Where Bobby went? Was Bobby kid you're talking about? Yes. 
where he went? Yeah. Oh, he didn't go with the guy to wherever. Because you said he went to some disclosed location and um, brought his friends back to his house. What friends? Just people from them from the bar, I guess. He literally was like, like was Bobby one of them? I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know. I have no idea. I just I very much clearly see a man who is a little bit shorter and rounder than this other man who is the one that dictated what was happening. Yeah. But I don't know if you see it medium-wise either because I could just be making this all up because I'm a baby medium. Yeah, but you talked about his nose being sort of pugsley. And like, yeah, he's got a larger nose and it's like roundish. Yeah. Like you like push your nose up a little bit and it's round on the top. Yeah. I don't know. But which is a very um Italian nose if you want to know. <laughs> the the hypothesized friend that Rick Asuna thinks could be the accomplice for Butch doesn't look like that. He doesn't have that nose. His nose does not look pugsley at all. Cuz I see the pugsley person too and I also mm. think that they're slightly dull. As the 1920s would say it. You know, like he didn't, I just, I don't. So he's not the Bobby guy? I don't think so. Also, Mm -hmm. I feel bad saying anything about the person that Rick Osuna says is named Bobby because like he has family members that are alive and he was never convicted. So he's. So it's probably not him. Not guilty in any way or fashion legally as of right now and will never be. So um, it's just what I'm saying from Rick Osuna's book. Got you. Yeah. And, and he also does not physically mas- match the description that you as a medium and not any sort of qualified criminal investigator <laughs> or person of any sort of yes legal power describes. So I don't okay. know who this person is. Yeah, he might just be a person else. from the mafia mm-hmm. that is associated with it. But like, I don't know. I feel like I want to believe that Dawn had a portion of it. In involvement. But it's also weird because like the way I read the theory for Rick is that like his sister was the mastermind and he just wanted to like get away from the situation too and help his sister and then take the kids and like figure it out from there like their siblings. But then when she like took matters in her own hands as being like crazy of killing the kids, then he like lost it and then was like honorably taking the fall for everything. Or he had a voice telling him that she was going to kill him next. I don't know. I have no idea. Because if you're saying he has schizophrenia, that might be a thing. Possibly. But I don't know. Schizophrenia. I feel like when I see it, it's like. When you see it as a psychic medium? Yes. Okay. Because it makes me, it makes like the hair on the back of my neck stand up and makes me very like feel like I'm my skin is crawling (sighs) feeling actually thoroughly mentally unhinged to the point where I feel like she had involvement but it's like it's weird I feel like I'm going upstairs to kill the parents however I don't know what happened before or during that but when I come back and I see her it's like I feel enraged because of something that as what I'm perceiving I can't like I can't describe it um I see her however I don't feel like this is actually how she was she might have you know how you said you felt like someone was left alive yeah because I know things and that's why I don't want to speak about it 
Yeah. However, I feel like maybe you said somebody messed up. Yeah. And was left alive on accident. Yeah. I feel like the thing that got messed up is whoever this possible accomplice was that was the lackey was supposed to make sure that Dawn wasn't home because she was supposed to not be home. And then what happened was at some point, I don't know how they killed them or how it was possible that no one else woke up unless she just wasn't home and it's correct and that they moved them back to the beds after whatever happened happened. And then she got home, was getting into bed to be ready for bed and was like, there is nothing here. I don't know what to do. But then that doesn't, and if she comes home, changes into her nightgown and then realizes that the house is really, really, really dark and is like, "Mm, I feel like there should be like, things moving around and like investigates but he's there it's like before she can even see anything he's there and is like you're not supposed to be here Mm. I feel like he didn't even try to like think about the the possibility of her coming home because maybe she was supposed to be with her boyfriend for like a weekend thing yeah when was November 24th or November 27th was it a weekend we should look it up but if you could you look that up on your phone while I continue talking about what I'm seeing (laughs) It's uh, November 13th, 1974. It's almost like she wasn't supposed to be there, but he didn't think about it because, again, he wasn't in the right mind to actually make this plan. It's a Saturday. Mm. Wait, what did you say? November 13th, 1974. Sorry, it changed it to the 23rd. Not sure why. Is it like a Friday or a Thursday? Wednesday. Mm. It's really weird. I don't know. November 13th, 1974. Mm-hmm is a Wednesday. Interesting. But mm-hmm. anyways, I feel like in his possibly spiritual mental health induced just I don't know, incoherent thoughts, he was like this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. This person's going to help me because I know him from the mafia and he's really dumb, so it's not that big a deal. <laughs> and it'll be fine. But then when he found out that Dawn was home, he she he was like you're not supposed to be here. And I don't, it doesn't explain why there would be gunpowder on her dress unless maybe he like walked in and like had the gun and was loading it in front of her. And that would be why something might have gotten on her. But that would maybe explain why her death was so violent. I don't know if it's that she actually had a a hand in it and he was upset about the murder of the children or what. But I just like don't get coherent thoughts when I see it. But I do feel like in some respect she was like the hypothesis is killed after the fact and like you said there was like one person that was left alive that wasn't supposed to be (laughs) they're showing me the weird thing that's in that room is that what's giving me this no Mm. i think the uh the killer dude the kelso dude i think he's telling you that Mm. however They're telling me that the thing in the basement or wherever the hell it is, I don't know. I think it's like on one of the lower floors, either the basement or the first floor. I feel like it's a dark entity that liked to feed on the fact that this person was mentally ill. Well, yeah. But he did it in a way of... Okay, so the reason why I asked you in the the video, did anyone get possessed... Mm. Oh, I feel you like think that's why him. he lost time. 
Yeah, because it's weird. All I see is like I'm in a foyer and somebody is standing there in a nightgown and I walk in through like a kitchen area because there's a window behind me and a doorway and I'm pissed. I can only see red and it's like no matter what this person says, I only see them as an immense threat to my existence and that this person that I'm talking to, I'm portraying them as equally as rageful as me and I need to get rid of them. But I don't feel like from her point of view, there is rage involved. I don't feel like she's the one that was like, yeah, we have to kill the siblings. I feel like I, I just, I don't know how, I don't, I don't, I don't know how he would be able to do it. Do what? Have everybody be in their beds. But again, I'm not saying everyone was in their beds. I don't know how he would be able to kill six people without anybody hearing it. Oh, yeah. And then put them all back in bed by the time she got home and then be so violently angry with her for coming home and irrational already that that could happen the way that it did. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that Rick Asuna's theory of it is... It sounds good, (laughs) but do I think that I like agree with it wholeheartedly? No, but like, again, the conviction, the conviction has already happened. People have already had a set ruling on it and that's been dealt with and done. So nobody can be guilty for it any longer. And what we're just talking about is other people's theories and possibilities and opinions. But I don't know. It's just... It's weird because I, I, I see it almost from his point of view of seeing somebody and it's like I see red and this person looks scary. Like he was looking at her, but he wasn't seeing her. Does that make sense? You, you saw red? I see a girl in a nightgown in front of me and the nightgown is like, um, she it's like white with like a small flowering on it. But I want to say the flowers are like pink and or purple with maybe blue. I want to say maybe purple and pink. And it's like the old style nightgown. But when I'm looking at her, it's like I'm seeing something else that would be like scary. And when I'm looking at this person, it's like there's something in the back of my mind that knows it's a person. However, 75% of what I'm seeing, hearing and experiencing is telling me that this is a bad thing, a bad person, not something that should be here. And I assume that's what attributes to her most violent death. Yeah, because this Every time people talk about the Amityville Horror, I see this entity that is something that, like, makes you perceive the world in a way of of which it's not. That would be why time would be lost. Yes. I see what you're saying now. It's kind of like um, in the LaLaurie Mansion, that fun house spirit Mm -hmm. that makes everything, like, really weird. But this, this spirit is different in the sense that it doesn't do it outwardly. It does it in your head. Yeah, because, like, one of the things that I associate, like, really, really, really bad negative spirits with is when I see things that are being uh, facilitated by them, it's, like, reality glitches. So it's, like, he's seeing some sort of scary face over top of the reality of him looking at his sister because I can see it shifting in and out of focus, like it's twitching and phasing. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like the spirit has the capability of possessing people but not for long periods of time it's just really scary Mm -hmm. so with the the thought and idea of possible possession (laughs) we're gonna leave that for next time because i'm already getting sick to my stomach talking about it nah not that bad that's why you're talking to these things i just can't but anyways we hope you guys liked our podcast we have a video on it too also um, what are your theories who do you think did it let us know somewhere. 
since this is a podcast and there's no comments. <laughs> we have social media. We just click the link below to one of our social media. Also, I drew lovely, weird pictures of their faces on stick figures if you want to see those from our video. <laughs> they're horrifying. I'm just going to tell no, you No, they're now. fine. I just didn't want to draw their whole bodies. I don't understand why their face has so much detail and there's poorly drawn stick figures. Like, I don't want to draw a This whole thing scares me. That's why? why I did the research. I don't know. I really hope people don't get upset about what we said. Controversial tops make topics make me uncomfortable. I mean, being a medium is a controversial yeah. topic of existence. But again, this is just our theories and speculations. I'm going to say that 8,000 times. This is not our sources. I found these on the interwebs. And um, webs. we're just psychic mediums with opinions. You're welcome. We're going to talk about our patrons. We're going to give them a, a good old shout out. College try of a shout out. Because we love you. You're all towels. I'm going to okay. hold it because you're really bad. Also, scooch over. Why are you so far away? Because I can't get on top of this mat. You could. Too lazy. You would just have to pick up the chair. Do you want loud noises in our podcast? Jesus Christ. I can take it out. Savannah. Jeez, ignores me. Trinity. Avery. Cassandra. Anthony. Violet. Peyton. Verena. Allie. Mac. Autumn. Thias. Victoria. Jenny. Laurel. Brianna. Nate. Bradley. Sandy. Nas. Sherry. Christina. Sushi. Anita. Katie. Charles. Jen. Holly. Flo. Krista. Abby. Malake. Malake. You're a towel. Always and forever a Malake. Always and forever a towel. If you guys are excited, we're either going to do part two of this next or we're going to make you wait and we're going to do... We're going to do something. 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 Yeah. All right, guys. Until then, we are your meta kicks. Yes. Lol. <laughs> She's just making me do all the buttons and I'm not used to it. I'm like it. 20 feet away from it. Oh, I don't feel good now. I don't like talking about scary things. We're just in this thing of really long podcasts. How long is it? Almost two hours. Holy shit. <laughs> Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.